Welcome to Dad Rocks, a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. Hello and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm your host, Josh, and today my guest is Buzzy Cohen. If you're a fan of the show Jeopardy, you probably know who Buzzy is, as he has become one of the most well-known contestants of the show in recent years. He won the Tournament of Champions in 2017, and then became a guest host for the show after Alex Trebek's passing. However, you probably didn't know that, at heart, Buzzy is a musician, and one that I had the pleasure of playing with back in high school. Furthermore, Buzzy is a devoted father of two young girls, and we talk about them and his love of music, and a little bit about Jeopardy in the show. Now, before we get to my conversation with Buzzy, I want to make one little note. And that is when we talk about the song that we performed at this jazz program back in high school, I mentioned that the song's name by Hara Silver is Nima's Dream. In fact, it is called Nika's Dream. So I just wanted to make that clarification in case you are looking for that song later after you listen to the show. So with that said, let's get to my conversation with Buzzy Cohen. Buzzy, welcome to Dad Rocks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be good to be back, putting the band back together. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was gonna say it's it's been a long time since we've actually seen each other. We've you know chatted, especially when you got on Jeopardy. We were yeah. we were chatting with each other. But I think the last time we actually were face to face with each other was at one of the hot jazz cold champagne parties. That's right. That you had you had set us up with at your frat in Col- at Columbia University, and my band right. Zanzibar Scuff played. Um, I think it was like 2005 or 2006. It was a co-ed, a co-ed literary society, which my wife often teases me about, like cl- always clarifying that it was not a frat. My buddy was in the, in that frat or that, that's that, that society up in the Middlebury. And it was definitely that's a right. frat up there. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the other claim to fame besides the fact that Zanzibar scuff played there is that it was the home, home to, I believe the first or possibly second gig of vampire weekend. I mean, those parties were absolutely bonkers, and they were some of yeah. my favorite gigs ever. <laughs> Just like, and uh, I think they got shut down even like one of the years that we were supposed to play because of a fire hazard or something like that. Yes, yeah, they decided the fire marshal decided no more parties. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> but overall, how are you doing? I, you know, you've been busy and, and everything. Yeah. But how, how have you been? I'm good. You know, I'm doing a lot of stuff now, kind of post jeopardy i you know when i guest hosted i basically gave up eligibility to appear on the show anymore as a contestant so very kindly they still want me to be a part of things so i'm currently the host of or co-host of two jeopardy podcasts one is called inside jeopardy which is like a weekly kind of recap you know what's going on in the world of jeopardy show and the other is called this is jeopardy which came out just recently uh and that's more like diving into the history and important moments and kind of like this american life npr deep dive into all things jeopardy um and so uh this is actually my third podcast record of the day if i seem oh, a wow. little if i seem a little low energy <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. So, those are like those are the things I moonlight with. I also um, I'm on the chase still, which is an ABC game show, uh, primetime game show where I play kind of a bad guy. Um, and uh, the other I also hosted a show called the Einstein Challenge, which has yet to air, but was recorded wow. a little over a year ago. And that's kind of how TV works. Sometimes you record something and then yeah. you don't know where it goes. So. We're waiting for that to come out, and that'll be really fun, especially, you know, I know this is the Dad Rocks podcast, but that one is, uh, there's a lot of kids involved in that show, and nice. it's it's super, super fun. I've watched some of the rough cuts with my family, and they really enjoy it. And then my day job still has to do with music. I'm a music supervisor. Yeah. Um, I have a company uh, called The Teenage Diplomat, whose uh, <laughs> name I took from Blinded by the Light, and um we do music for commercials mostly so um original music and music supervision for ads um most recently um i've been doing a lot of work with airbnb so all those airbnb ads that are sort of like slideshows with a big track behind them i'm working with the creative teams to find that music 
Yeah. And, you know, I was going to ask you about that. And I, I wasn't sure if you were still, you know, you still had the, the company um, and whatnot. But how did you get into that? Like, how did you end up, uh, you know, with the company or how, how did you, yeah. you know, take on that job? Uh, I don't know how long, how long of a walk you want to take, but basically I work, I had, even when we were, when we, when we knew each other back in like high school and college, I had gotten into interested in and done some like internships and kind of like a clerical kind of work, like, like um, temp work at, uh, in the music publishing world. Um, so I, graduated uh, college, like really focused on music publishing, which most, I think 22 year olds don't even, even if they're interested in the music business, <laughs> right. don't really know about. So I, that was kind of like my thing, like I'm going to be the music publishing 22 year old. And so I uh, finished school with a lot of experience and ended up in a department at uh, EMI music publishing, which was pitching music to commercial, everything but uh, film and TV. Hmm. Um, so commercials, uh, video games, which was really big then. This was like the era of Guitar Hero and Rock Band oh, right, right, right. Um, and other games. Um, merchandise, which you don't really think about, but like, you know, things that either play songs or like, like greeting cards, cards stuff. Yeah, yeah. birthday cards, but also like I remember doing a pitch for like a checkbook company where like it was a <laughs> checkbook holder and when you opened it, it would like play a song. Interesting. Um, like clocks and or even apparel that has lyrics on it. Um, yeah. we would like pitch stuff for that. And then I left there, I went and I worked at an independent label, uh, called Domino label and publisher. So Domino is probably best known as the home of Franz Ferdinand and the Arctic monkeys, uh, the dirty projectors, wet leg Grammy winners, yep. wet leg. Great band. Uh, yeah. So a lot of really cool bands, um, that, uh, uh animal collective is there. So, um, you know, they were, a, they're a UK based label, but. I worked in their U.S. office, which is much bigger now than it was when I was there. But I then was doing pitching and licensing for the whole U United States. Um, I moved out. I mean, sorry, for the whole, yeah, whole U.S., yeah. but like all TV, film, all that stuff. Um, I'm in 2009. I left and, and moved out here and I was working for a startup that did. Uh, it was basically all these streaming music services that we do now is called Mog at the time. Okay. Um, it got bought by beats and got turned into beats music and got bought by Apple and turned into Apple music. Wow. So, um, but at the time it was called Mog and I was doing their music licensing. Um, it wasn't a great fit for me cause it was like catalog licensing. And I kind of liked working more with creative and individual songs. One thing that like, I, my music career, my my professional career has been moving. Like I realized very quickly that I liked being closer to creative people and helping them navigate the business than closer to the business people helping them navigate creative. Right. And so I um, left there and I worked, I ended up as a mu music supervisor for an ad agency called Media Arts Lab, which had one client, which was Apple. So I did um the music supervision for apple ads exclusively for almost four years oh wow um and that was awesome and then you know like things changed um steve jobs was alive when i started working there he passed away while i was there and then you know things changed with the relationship between the agency and the the brand and it was just sort of like got a little funky and a, a bunch of people um you know, when some of them went to Apple in-house, some of them went to other places. So I left, I worked for um, a, a company that had been, I had been a client of, a vendor of mine and ran that company for about three years. It's called Squeaky Clean. It was started by a musician named Sam Spiegel and he brought me in to help run it for him. And then I left Squeaky Clean in 2016 and started the Teenage Diplomat just as myself on my own. Oh and uh, slowly grown, but not grown that much because kind of decided I didn't really want a big company with a lot of headache mm -hmm. and I'd rather do less work and have more flexibility. That's, that's crazy. And it, it's interesting timing that it you started your company and then basically Jeopardy happened almost yeah. at the same uh, time. Yeah, I mean, the first time I was on Jeopardy was um, April, 2016, and I started the company in June, 2016. Uh, it wasn't like I didn't like win Jeopardy and then I was like, oh, I'm going to go quit my job. Right. But it just, you know, things happen. But I will tell you that, like, 
anyone who started a business, even like I was very lucky. I had some big clients to that. I kind of, you know, followed me, but like anything, it takes a while to get set up in their vendor system and billing. And so it was helpful to get that check from Jeopardy just to kind of keep (laughs) things going while I kind of got, got the cash flow going in the business. Yeah. So I'm curious about the job because you must like filter through so many songs. Like how, how do you decide what song is used for what ad or do your clients come and say, we want this, um, or do they kind of give you, you know, let you take over and kind of, you know, pitch them ideas? It, it depends on the client and it depends on the project. Um, some people have a really clear vision. I mean, if they're calling me, they don't know what they want yet, Mm. but they might have an idea of what they want and I'm there to kind of help them find it. I don't, I generally, sometimes I will, but generally I don't just do music clearance. I'm there, you know, with the creative process, which I like. And so, um, you know, sometimes they'll have a very clear brief, like, Hey, we want to replace X song, or we're looking for a song that has, you know, this type of lyric theme and this kind of feeling and whatever, you know, the more some of them are more specific and some of them are more like open, like, Hey, we don't really know what we want, Hmm. but here's like, here's what we've got, or here's the vibe. And, um, I often tell them because I'm used to my, my background being at media arts lab, which was like a really formative experience was that like, unlike other places, the music team was in the room with the creatives when the creatives got briefed and we would start thinking about music as before there was even like, a create any creative developed. Hmm. Um, and we would often share that music with the creatives to help them. And so I like getting involved earlier and helping figure out what helping like create a brief with people. Um, you know, I could speak most recently to the Airbnb work, which has been, uh, as you can imagine, a really, really tight collaboration. Yeah. And that has been a really cool and unique um, creative process. So the way that work has come about, and it's, we've been doing it since 2020, 2021, where with the start with the made possible by hosts campaign and then moved to categories. And now there's like a rooms campaign, but they're all kind of in a similar vein in terms of the role of music. And that's one where they're basically sending people, sending photographers on vacation. Hmm. They send the photographers on a trip with their friends or their family and just say, take, take pictures and then send us the pictures when you're done. There's no like, here's what we want you to get, or here's, you know, as we developed it, we're like, oh, it's really great to have a picture of people arriving at the place a picture you know like just so we can know where we are but then basically me and the creative teams go through the photos and are like what's the story here you know what's the interesting thing about this or who are these people or what does this trip mean or who you know what's the relationship that we want to explore here and then my job is basically to find music that tells that story so it's kind of an interesting thing And a lot of the times your first instinct is to kind of like, especially with travel, you know, like, oh, we're going to this place. Let's use music that's from that place or whatever. But really, you know, if you get into it, it, what we've been trying to do is, you know, what I often tell the creatives or or whoever, I'm like, yeah, we already know that they're brothers or we already know that there are kids there. We already know that they're staying here. Like, what can the music do that? What can the music tell you that isn't obvious? that we know because we've seen this day or what can the music tell you that isn't already super clear about this day. So, you know, um, I'm just thinking there was a great, uh, you know, one of my favorite spots that we did where it was this older couple that went away to like the South of France or Italy or something like that. And it was the, the wife's like 80 something birthday. And the, the creative director was like, this woman is such a badass. Like, she's just like, she's so rad and she's like, whatever. And so instead of doing like, like young at heart or something like that, or, you know, whatever, we were like, okay. And we, we, you know, I was like, what if we try Bonnie and Clyde, Jay-Z and Beyonce? And it became this story about this older couple, but still with that like energy of like young love and like on the run and all that stuff. And so that's like the kind of creative that I really like to do. Um, you know, we also do a lot of original music where we go out and hire composers to do stuff. And I also really enjoy that because, you know, as you know, I like making music. Yeah. And so even though I don't get to make a lot of it, I still get to kind of like work with people who make music and it's cool. Yeah. And so 
in with, with that, you know, having you said like, you know, having to try to almost like tell us you're, you're telling a story, you're creating a soundtrack, you know. Yeah. How how open minded do you do you have to keep yourself and how do you find new music? Do you I mean, do you are you listening constantly to stuff or how do you keep yourself? You yeah. Know, I, I go through like ebbs and flows. I have um, another music supervisor who works with me who listens a lot as well. And so we kind of like play off each other. And a lot of times what happens is like I kind of uh, and I don't know if this is like a musician thing, but I'll kind of like discover a genre or discover a scene or discover an artist or something like that. And then I kind of like hyper fixate on it and I'm like, I'm listen, to, yeah. listen to like everything and like kind of, you know, whatever. And, and everything in that universe too. It's like everything in that like, universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I kind of like, because I know like what kind of works generally for the work that I do, uh, I can, I'll kind of like pull out a few, those couple of things that like have a very clear message or, um, you know, have a really unique sound or, you know, there's all different reasons why something can work in advertising, but, you know, 90% of music will never work in advertising. Right. Um, and so you kind of like over the years, you start to hone that a little bit of that ear. That's not necessarily about like the, a specific musical quality. Cause I think when people think of ad music, they think of something that is kind of like cheesy maybe, but like mm -hmm. um, just something that can kind of cut through what what the interesting thing about ads is it's like the most money per second of of any like audiovisual medium right yeah. between like the production and also the media buy and so it's like every sec every single thing has to count it's not like a tv show or a movie where it's like oh the vibe is right that's like the right yeah. feeling for the scene it's like the vibe has to be right the lyrics have to be right everything has got to really like fire so it really narrows down what what works but that's kind yeah. of generally how i find stuff is like i hyper fixate and then like pull out something and and kind of lateral think my way through into new 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 places that i haven't explored before yeah it's uh definitely an interesting you know job it's one of these things that as i get older it's like you don't realize how much goes into everything, you know, how many people are behind the scenes and yeah, picking yeah. this and picking that and yeah. then, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so just to, to, to go back and kind of, yeah. uh, re kind of reconnect in our ways. I, I, you know, at the top, I was saying that we, we played, we played in high school today together. Yeah. We were in this jazz for teens program at the New Jersey performing arts center and you played tenor sax. Yeah. Uh, and I played drums and we were put together in one of like, eight different combos and I was thinking about you know just reflecting on some of the just how fun it was in that band that that combo and I, yeah. I remember because I was in it the year before and I didn't have as you know great a time but for whatever reason that that group that we were in was really connected and we had a lot of fun and you seem to always be the center of like the the shenanigans that were going on <laughs> yeah i don't know why that was i you know it's funny is i i auditioned again the next year and i didn't get in really yeah it's crazy um I, I mean i think at the time it was getting super hyper competitive and like kids who well it, i mean the other part of it was that i had been taking lessons with uh a saxophone player who i will not name um, not Don Braden, but another saxophone player in the northern New Jersey area. And I stopped taking lessons from him. Uh oh, and he was at a judge. Book. And he was the judge <laughs> the next year. Uh, oh, man. I got to tell you, I mean, that's what I was going to bring up. It's like how petty some of these the, the instructors were. Like, do you like. Oh, my our, God. The, our guy. I don't even remember his name. He was the trumpet instructor. Yeah, like, he didn't he, like us. Well, he was never there. He was like there half the time. And then I remember him, him getting pissed off at you because all you wanted. You kept playing seven steps to heaven yeah. constantly. And well, because <laughs> I remember we kept doing uh, who was the art? Who was the composer was that we were Horace Silver. Horace Silver, that's right. And then do you remember? And it was like, we actually were doing kind of a cool Horace Silver song. I think we song. did Nima's Dream? Did we do Nima's, Nima's Dream, Dream, which was yeah. kind of interesting. But then Horace Silver showed up and he was really mean to us. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I totally remember. I remember, I think we were standing next to each other. It was right before the made, big concert. We're, we were, we were all about to play. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes, he said something like that was not really like encouraging. He's like, this is really hard. None of you are going to like make it. But buy my book. Like it was he like, told us, like he told us all to take up graphic design and quit music. <laughs> he said that 
some of us can play the heads like two of us know how to solo over the changes when we had just spent like eight months like putting together a concert of this guy's stuff but i don't know yeah i it wasn't i don't think he he the instructor definitely didn't like me uh and i th- i don't yeah i don't know what exactly it was i don't i don't remember always trying to play seven steps to heaven when he was there i felt like when he would leave yeah and we were on our own is when we would start playing seven but steps he to heaven. he definitely made us play it one time i think he yelled at you and was like you want to play it let's play it and like we we played it i just remember like playing it at a super fast pace like, yeah and like i barely knew the song at the time yeah and it was just it was nuts and i mean i don't know why it, i was obsessed with that <laughs> I think I, I liked. I think I just liked the harmonies, that, like because it had the harmonies in that lead line. That it had that like cool, yeah. like a little chromatic ascending line. It was it was great. Like and another one of my f- other favorite shows that you probably don't remember this. Like I, he wasn't. There, I had not taken a solo during our our practices ever. And then That's the, right. day, the the day of, he was like, "You want to have a solo? You're the only like you 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 don't have a solo." I was like, "No, I haven't." practiced one like you didn't ask me to take a solo like at all like the entire time we were doing this in the day of you want me to take a solo and then it turned out i was the only drummer not to take a solo in that whole performance which was fine because yeah. i think we sounded great in that uh, like i was it was uh you know it was great but i you know i bring up the seven steps to heaven because i was thinking about it the other day and it's pretty you know savvy because you were a sophomore at the time like for you to be to yeah. know that i mean a lot of the, the kids that were we were playing with knew all this stuff but like how deep were into jazz were you at the time and were, was that the only was that like the main thing you were listening to or yeah were all kind of all i mean I, no i mean well i mean i listened to a bunch of stuff but uh i was really listening to a lot of jazz then and um yeah, I listen. I just listened to a lot of jazz, and I think like Amazon had just started carrying CDs around then. Mm. Yeah, and so when I would like encounter something interesting, I would go and sort of like the way we can do now very easily with streaming services. But I would like, you know, ask my parents how many CDs I could get this month, <laughs> and then I would buy a bunch of jazz CDs um, and listen to stuff. We had a great jazz radio station in Northern New Jersey. I don't yes. know if it's still there. WBGO, still there. WBGO is still there. Yep. 88.3 so that i mean i used to get upset because on sunday it would be they would have the filet of soul and they would start playing the like kind of like funk and soul stuff um, on the weekend that's stuff my dad loved listening to was the yeah uh, the was it the rhythm review on saturdays yeah and, and yeah but but i like the i was like a very straight ahead jazz guy so i was <laughs> listening to a lot of stuff and we had like uh i, I went to pingree which was like a prep school and we had a really great jazz band teacher. I mean, our jazz band did a lot of Ellington stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he was really into Ellington. Um, and there were these like charts that were that you could get that were like the the Ellington arrangements and oh, stuff wow. like that. Um, so we used to do uh, a lot of Ellington. But he was like he was cool and hip, and he introduced me to a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, that's, um, he that's was awesome. he was a trumpet player. So that's yeah, and um, yeah, and there was a lot of really talented people uh in at pingree and who were like also in nj pack like Rashawn, who was in our combo he was in my Uh, combo too the year before both of us kind of moved up together from the lowest combo to like the mid-level combo i'm glad i was in the mid-level combo i didn't know i was in the mid-level combo yeah i think because they had set yeah we were like combo five or four out of seven or something like that and then uh andrew horowitz who i think was probably one of the top combos and ended up in a in the band uh tally hall I don't know if you're oh. familiar with them. They're like a Michigan band. And then Will Weidman, who was a bass player, um, who was also in that like top combo. Hmm. Uh, he was, a, he was, I mean, those guys were, were really, really good. And so they also, you know, we used to play together a lot and they would, they introduced me to stuff. Nice. And I also, I used to do a summer program at Litchfield. I don't know if you know about that, the Litchfield Jazz Fest that Don Braden also okay. was like the director of which was like a one or two week kind of similar setup, but it was like full days. It was like a week, like, you know, and all day it was like, there were instrument like classes. There were, there were combos, there was theory classes and you'd get like sorted into everything in the beginning. Right. Uh, Sounds like he, he pretty much took that and put it into the NJ pack program. It's almost like, cause exactly how we did it. Yeah. I don't know which one came first, but yeah. But Don was awesome. I remember yeah. my first my first year, 
actually while I was uh, uh, auditioning, he actually picked up his sax and started playing with me. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to get in. Then I found out I was like the lowest <laughs> drummer. He was feeling it, though. Yeah, it was good. That that made I always look back and say, OK, that tells me I have good feel, which is something at the time when you're in, a teenager, you're like, I want to play the most things, you know, the craziest things uh, and the most difficult things. Right. Um, like now, seven steps to heaven. Right. right. In, in my mind, like. Like I was never going to be able to play giant steps, but seven steps to heaven felt like very difficult, but I could play it. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. After high school, did you play in college? Did you yeah. continue to play? Yeah. Um, I did not play as much saxophone. I played, I was in a band. I was in um, a couple of bands in college. I was in a band at Columbia that was called the conglomerate, which was like a jazz fusion Hmm. band um i was kicked out of the band after the first <laughs> year uh well the the drummer was really into john schofield okay. and so he always wanted like a guitar player and basically i played keys in that band and the second someone else played tenor the second they found a guitar player i got kicked out of the band so that was uh, but then i was also in a band with a buddy of mine from high school uh that was more of like i don't know what i would call it like a we were playing like rock and stuff like so that. Like probably, was it proggy or not? No, no it wasn't proggy. It was like very pop poppy, but like gotcha. not in a, not like, I don't know how to describe it, but um, <laughs> so he was at, he was at school uh, in Maine. And then it was like kind of a convoluted thing, but I was at Columbia. Two of the members were, were um, at Wesleyan and two were at um, Bowdoin up in Maine, but we used to play gigs. The nice thing about us being at different schools and having friends is like, we would play, you know, we played at Middlebury, we played at, you know, Colgate, we would play, you know, so, um, and that was kind of, that was a lot of fun. Cause that was just, you know, we'd play a lot of like covers and we'd play a lot of, you know, it was kind of like a, a nerdy white kid bar band idea, you know? And you never wanted your band to play at the Hot Jazz Cold Champagne parties? No, because I wanted to party at Hot Jazz Cold <laughs> Champagne. I, I mean, that you guys did, I will say this that you treated us great. I think each we I think we played there four times. We played okay. three times in the house and then the fourth time we were supposed to play the, the it got shut down like that spring. It was like spring of 2007 and then we played on a boat the next year. Oh, and I then, heard about the boat. Yeah. And then that was I after that, I was gone. Yeah. But I remember you guys they would be like do you guys want champagne? And then they would give each of us our own bottle of champagne to drink, like while we were playing, yeah. which was was great because we were playing for like four or five hours. And yeah, it was, we yeah, would it just was, sweat that out. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't want to tell you how inexpensive that champagne was, oh. but obviously, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's college man, it was college. Yeah, college exactly. It was like a, for the listeners who don't know, this was a black tie champagne open bar house party so it was like this weird and the first hour was always jazz jazz, we played j jazz we, standards we, yeah. yeah we played an hour of jazz standards and then we played three more sets of just party tunes yeah and exactly stuff. and it was it was crazy and there was like hundreds of people packed into this row house that yeah. looking back it was a brownstone there, it was it wasn't a row house it was a brownstone. sorry sorry brownstone <laughs> i i don't know my terminology i'm sorry but it was <laughs> you know i mean it was yeah. It really, I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't shut down early because there, it was a fire hazard. How many people would be in there? And yeah, and, and we used to like feel the the whole floor oh, yeah. kind of flexing. We knew that there were some big steel beams holding it together, but you really, you were really thankful for for whoever invented the I beam at those yeah. moments. Yeah, yeah. Do they still have that party, or is it? Um, I don't think do, so. Yeah. I think it got shut down permanently. I know they they moved it to the boat one year to try to like save it and it just it just didn't work so i think yeah. that you played the last hot jazz <laughs> cold champagne yeah um so you know so it's again, your fault you brought it down hey you know my it's a joke with my other with my other original band that we would actually play and then places would shut down so we were we, we love this joke <laughs> yeah um so you know now uh, i guess I was going to ask, looking back, you know, how influential were your parents on you in terms of music? Where you know, I know your dad was in the clothing industry. Um, yeah, and I did. Was he big into music? Were they both? Yeah, into music. So my dad, my dad, both my parents were really into music. My mom had taken piano lessons growing up, and they both got me taking piano lessons um, early. I will. I give them a lot of credit because 
I think I started when I was about four or five because I liked playing the piano at my grandfather's house. My grandfather played piano a lot. And um, he taught me some stuff and they got me a teacher, but I didn't like the teacher. And they're like, okay, mm. we're back off. And then I went to a day camp um, around in Livingston. I went to a day camp in Livingston. I think it was called Camp Horizons. Yep. I, don't know if I you know went there one. as well for one summer. Yep. At yeah. Newark Academy. Yep. At Newark Academy, right. And there was this really weird guy, like looking back on it, probably like on the spectrum or something like that, who was one of the counselors and he taught piano. And I don't know why, but I signed up for, for piano with him. And he taught me funny enough, like TV song themes and like <laughs> jingles. And like, yep. so that was, you know, and so I learned, I really loved learning and playing and all that. And then my parents, because I was so into it, found this other teacher through someone they knew and he really like got me like I just vibed with him and you know the rest it was kind of history I got really into piano I went to like I went to Apple Farm you're an Apple Farm guy too right? yeah when did you go when did you go there um uh 19 probably like 1994 I think oh you were yeah you probably you went when you were real young you were, yeah was I was like kid. nine yeah. yeah yeah so yeah I went I started in 96 yeah yeah so I had an older sister. She went to Apple Farm because she was artistic. Yeah. I went for the music. And then I signed up for saxophone. And that was kind of like how I started playing saxophone. Um, and so anyway, this is like a long-winded way of yeah. saying like my parents really loved it and encouraged it. My dad was at Woodstock and like was always oh, nice. playing music in the house and like yeah. was really into, you know, you know, like that era of music classic right. rock and and stuff like that a big he was a big stevie wonder fan um and uh so there was always a lot of music in the house and then like as i got into different stuff like as i got into jazz like my dad got into jazz with me like he had never mm. been into jazz it was That's really interesting. yeah so that was really cool and they yeah they really really encouraged it um and and you know every step of the way like when i wanted to do something they like i remember at one point I took up the guitar because I was probably like 13 and everyone wanted to be yep. in a band. So I took up the guitar <laughs> and then like a year after playing the guitar, I was like, I want a four track recorder so I can record my band. And they like, you know, I worked, you know, saved up and they, I was able to get a four track recorder. Wow. And, nice. uh, you know, so, and it wasn't, they weren't like discouraging that or like, you know, when I got older and was like, you know, playing in rock bands they kind of like you know went with me on it a little bit so yeah i definitely they were they were uh very encouraging and pivotal even if you know my mom could play but she didn't really play anymore and my dad never really played but although my dad apparently he claims to have played uh drums in the columbia at columbia high school hmm. where he went to school and he was he that he claims that that was where he became friends with max weinberg Oh really? I didn't even know he was. That's awesome that he. Was yeah, Max friends. Weinberg was a Columbia High School guy. So awesome! Very cool. That's that's a <laughs> that's a cool connection. Um, so, how are your kids with music? Do 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 your daughters really like it? Do they take lessons or are they? Um, know? that's a good question. Um, we haven't we haven't really done any formal lessons with either of the kids. There's a lot of instruments in the house, and one of the things that. I told my wife, uh, or didn't tell my wife, but my wife and I discussed <laughs> and, and I encouraged was like, let's have like real instruments around. Like, I don't want to have like the toy versions. Like if right. the girls want to play, like, and you know, when I, you know, besides the instruments that I sort of already had, like when I bought a uh, a couple years back, I bought a guitar and like, yeah, I could have probably like gone and found some vintage Martin or whatever, but I was like, I want to have a guitar that I don't care is in the living room because I want it out right. and I want, I want to play it. I don't want to, you know, I don't know if you're this way, but like when I put something away, like the surface tension to get open up the case and like take it out is very high. Whereas like if things are out, I'll play with them and touch them yeah. and stuff like that. And so I was like, I want the instruments to be out. And um, so, yeah, my kids are like, you know, there's a piano in our house. There's uh, like five guitars in the living room. There's a bunch of like percussion and 
our whole and so anyway the point of the guitar thing was that like i wanted a guitar that like if a soccer ball went through it right i could get another one and i wouldn't be like that was my you know 1943 <laughs> you know arch top whatever right you know, it was like it's a you know mahogany body you know martin double o whatever martin that i can you know it's not free but i can get another one right and are they old enough to are they have they expressed interest in taking lessons i don't know yeah if, if your oldest a little is bit like, taking in school or taking lessons so, in school or anything my kids are nine and four um neither of them have requested lessons but my oldest um has gotten into drumming i have like a conga drum in our house and mm -hmm. i know i've i've done some like afro-brazilian drumming and so i've been teaching her some of those like rhythms and she has gotten really into that we went to brazil as a family um over the holidays and we did some, a couple of different like percussion like i i oh, we cool. found local percussionists and did some percussion lessons when we were down there so that's kind of like something that she's really into but um she has yet to request piano or guitar or, or or anything like that so right now she is a percussionist that's awesome i mean that's yeah. like you know that's the base <laughs> if you the kids can play percussion they get the rhythm that that was one thing my parents started me out was rhythm lessons mm -hmm. and then i took piano and i think that helped me when i did did start drumming like to have a good sense yeah. of timing and i also feel like unless your parent is a drummer if your parent is a musician you become a drummer well, it's funny. The story of how I became a drummer is that my dad was a chiropractor and his office was in our house. And so I wanted to play. I always like I my I got roto toms because my piano teacher's son had them in their house and I always liked playing with them. So we had the roto toms around. But then in fourth grade, I wanted to play trumpet. And my dad was like, no, you're not playing trumpet. Like it's too loud when you practice in my office. And at the time, our, our band director, when I was in third grade at the school, was very much like orchestra it was mm -hmm. percussion like orchestral percussion the next mm -hmm. year they hired a, a former jazz or he's still a jazz musician um he found a drum set in the back closet brought it out the three of us were drum percussion majors started learning how to play drum set and then it was like i i want you know i eventually got a yeah. drum set in the house and could barely play it like you know, yeah. during the day but you know that's it's it wasn't i wasn't really going to be a drummer i was going to be a trumpet player but my dad right. kind of turned the tides in that but yeah it is interesting in that in that respect how because you always want to like play with you you know if you if you have a parent who's you know playing already you, you just, mm -hmm. it's a good way to to jam and everything um yeah. and uh you know what kind of music are they listening to? Do you have to, are they great like, question? Yeah. Cause um, I mean, my son goes so, through weird, weird phases. He's four yeah. and a half and he goes through weird phases with songs. So, um, there's a lot of Taylor Swift right now. Um, my, and my, my younger one really likes also in addition to Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, all the Katy Perry's she mm. says, I want to hear all the Katy Perry's, <laughs> um, but like they've gone through some interesting phases otherwise. There's also, I don't know if you know about these people, but do not check it out. There's this group called the Toilet Bowl Cleaners that nope. someone introduced my kid. <laughs> Basically, this guy figured out that kids, if they have like an Alexa or an Echo, they say, play the poop song, right? <laughs> and so this guy wrote a song called the poop song. And then has it's like playing the poop song by the toilet bowl cleaners. And he's done like they're all gross. It's like, you know, poop oh, in your yeah. fingernails yeah. or like diarrhea bounce back and like all these just gross <laughs> songs. But it's like my the, my kids will ask that. That's usually like a punishment for me. Um, you know, a lot of musical soundtracks. But yeah. like, you know, one thing that we did, it worked a little bit better with my older one. My younger one's not as into it. But like, I really liked the Harry Nilsson, The Point. Oh, great. Record. So, so great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was like kind of a good middle ground. Um, and sometimes like I'll try to, you know, sneak something in and they'll be they'll kind of be into it. But generally um, not. And now that I have like the nine year old, she's, you know, in addition, she has her own musical taste, but she also, you know, is very much in a school culture. So today she asked right. to hear like the peaches jack black oh yes that's um, mario <laughs> but, you know so 
Yeah, it was, I'm, it was funny because I had my students asked for that too in my class, and then so I, I played that. Then I played the the president's version. Of, yeah, uh, preaches, yeah, yeah, and they were like, "What's this?" It's yeah, like, I know. My <laughs> when my daughter was like, "Yeah, we're everyone's really into the song called Peaches," and I like started singing the <laughs> Husa, I think is yeah. what we used to call them yeah. version, and uh, she was like, "Not this." I I, I want to ask you a question real quick. Yeah, go ahead, because you've had a lot of people. One thing that I find really interesting is like when I whenever I want to like play music in the house, my kids scream at me to stop. Is this a yep. common thing? I like, mean, for me, for me, it is. It's like, like even when I'm like, oh, I'm going to play a song that you like, you know, I'm going to play Let It Go from Frozen or whatever. They're like, no, like they really <laughs> don't want me to play music. Well, it's interesting with my son because he would I, I for a while when he was younger, like when he was two, he was really into Sign Seal Delivered, but mm-hmm. not the Stevie Wonder version originally. It was the Sharon Jones version originally that he, like I had played one time and he was dancing and he loved it right. um, and he wanted it and he got really into Stevie Wonder. But now it's, he he only wants to hear what he wants to hear. And sometimes I have to say, well, we have to go back and forth in the car. Like I can't, because I don't want to listen to the Encanto soundtrack every day all oh, the yeah. time. And um but he can be like, you know, sometimes like, you know, I want to listen to this, but he's gotten better at if we're listening to music in the car and like I say, you know, it's time for daddy's music, he'll he'll listen to it and even sometimes with the radio. Um, but yeah, I, to, for them to when when I want to play something, they're like, he's like, no, I'm but, not even uh, talking about like playing like when I phys- like like when you, you even... when you start playing music, right? Like I like when, I will sometimes I... take out the guitar and start exactly. playing. And he's like, no, no, don't. Yeah, or like, like he'll be playing downstairs do. and sits down behind the drum stage. Like, no, I don't want drums. No drums now. Yeah, like, I'm just like, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's it is, you know, I guess it's a typical uh, kid thing. Um, I did want to go back a little bit to, you know, because I ask, you know, especially touring musicians this uh, a lot in terms of, you know, when you got your celebrity, you know, quote unquote celebrity status, um, how did that kind of did that have any effect on your family, your kids? Uh, I mean, I don't know if your, I guess your your youngest wasn't born yet, but your your oldest yeah. daughter. Did that have any kind of effect, or was she too young at the time? She was sort of too young at the time, but when I guest hosted, they both were like very aware of it and very excited. It was kind of a bummer because I taped, uh, we we recorded that those episodes during COVID, and there was a lot mm-hmm. of um, COVID protocols, so they couldn't come to the studio. Um, to see me actually host even my wife didn't get to come um but uh you know they would drive around and ask and roll down the windows and say my dad's gonna be on jeopardy <laughs> and it's it's really funny but like the honestly the, the the cutest thing is that now my older one was at hebrew school and they played like jeopardy at hebrew school like mm-hmm. as an activity and she was like and I didn't say that you, my dad had been on Jeopardy. Like she's at the point now where she like has gotten that, like, it's not, yeah. it's like not the coolest thing to like always talk about your dad being on Jeopardy. And so it's, I, I, I'm actually like, it was a very cool moment that she's like old enough to be like, I knew, but I like decided not to like <laughs> kind yeah. of be obnoxious about it. But they, um, yeah, I don't know. I think also like just being in LA is different than like where we right. grew up where, I think like the closest thing to being famous was like being rich, you know? <laughs> yeah. Obviously I'm assuming people recognize you on the street if you're out and, and stuff like that. Does, you know, how has that kind of affected your family time when you're, when you're, you're going out and everything? like? That? I, I don't get recognized as much as you'd think, really? or if I do, people don't say anything. Hmm. Um, I mean, it helps that like the last three years we've all been wearing masks. <laughs> it sometimes happens and it tends to happen uh, in airports I think people feel like, first of all, there's people from all over a little bit more. And there's also like, I think people feel like, oh, well, we're all, we're leaving. We're not going to like see each other, you know, five minutes, we're all walking away. So it's okay. You know, sometimes people will stop me and say hi and want to take a picture. And of course, like, I love it. I I do not have a, a, a huge legions of fans. So I got to really appreciate the ones (laughs) that I have. Um, but no, you know what? It's like one, the great thing about Jeopardy is like, it is the best thing to be known for. You yeah. could imagine, you know, it's like everyone else who's kind of like famous for game shows or reality shows. It's like, ultimately there's something a little bit embarrassing about it, <laughs> you know, but this is like, uh, just such a great thing. And, and, um, it's been great, you know, like hearing from people on these new podcasts, like 
what they're learning, what they're liking. So it's awesome. And I think my kids like are they're they like it. They're proud of they're like proud of me and they they have fun with it. And they sometimes, you know, it's a it's a funny thing where some when it happens, usually the person recognizes me, but they don't necessarily know where they recognize me from. Mm. And so they'll be like, do I know you? Have we met at a blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I literally will be like trying to figure it out. And then my wife or my kids will be like, do you watch Jeopardy? And then it like clicks for the person. <laughs> but that's not really where my brain goes right away. But I think also, you know, living in Los Angeles, you know, m- my kids have friends whose parents are in showbiz. You right. know, they're famous people who go to our synagogue. There are, you know... It's 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 more of that is like just the industry like people it's the, these are the working people like these are like the people yeah. who work in your in your area versus totally. like you know where we grew up it'd be like oh that's the guy who owns a car dealership or this is right. you know yeah I think the biggest one was like the Arizona iced tea guy he was like <laughs> he was a he was a giant in northern New Jersey we well we uh, had we had in in at least in my synagogue we had the guy who owned a bunch of shop rights around so that right. was, <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, I think that, I recorded an album at the grandson of like a and p's the grandson of the people that started like a and (laughs) p's built a studio in new jersey um but the um what i was gonna say was like we did have lauren hill yeah we did and wyclef jean and wyclef yeah moved to south orange and uh queen latifah's from new york uh, newark i mean there's a lot of there was definitely whitney's from newark i mean there were a lot of people from northern new jersey but it was like once you made it you got out of new jersey it's a death trap it's a suicide rap you got to get out while you're young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, before we end each episode, um, I like to ask the guests um, what they've been listening to lately. So what are three artists or songs yeah. that you have really been listening or enjoying lately? Okay. I was, I've was i been listening to what I call life-affirming songs by sad boys. <laughs> uh, so that the way that manifests for me is I've been listening to some um, Tom Waits. Oh, nice. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Tom Waits, his his more life affirming songs, you know. John Prine. I don't know if you're a John Prine fan. I, I've I I started to listen to him recently. Yeah, he's yeah. great. It's some great. The problem is I'm not a lyrist lyrics guy, so that that yeah. kind of sometimes doesn't help with him. Starts drinking heavy, gets a big red nose, beats his old lady with a rubber hose, then he takes her out to dinner, buys her new clothes. That's the way that the world goes round. That's the way that the world goes round. Be up one day. And um, and Warren Zevon. That's oh. my. Those oh. are my uh, sad boys with life affirming songs. <laughs> I mean, uh, poor, poor, pitiful me. How yeah. much of an uplifting, terrible, you know that, and, and yeah. excitable boy. Like it's just yeah, like- <laughs> exactly. But it's like yeah, there's something like. I think, you know, there are those songs that are just like trying to cheer you up. And I think the fact that like those three guys, like you feel that they've like touched the darkness and they recognize it actually helps yeah. it being more affirming, you know. I lay my head on the railroad tracks and wait for the double This is a very inside baseball, but I just today texted my friend Eric, who I was in the band with, that two of my favorite Tom Waits songs of all time, Jersey Girl and Tom Trubbers Blues, both the verses begin on the four chord after establishing the tonality, which I think is a very interesting thing. I will have to go Don't, and listen to that. To you do not that. encounter that too much. 
You know, he like does a little intro, sets you up with like a little one, four, five, you know what key you're in. And then he, and then he starts the verse on the four chord. Huh. And it's, you know, like musically kind of reminds me of like one of my favorite songs of all time is uh, Walk Away, Renee by the left bank. And that song starts with and hmm. the first word is and. I feel like a four chord is like starting on the <laughs> lyric and. Right, because it's like you're in the middle of something. In, it's like, like <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, it, it's, it, so I'm, I'm trying to like create in my mind like what it is I love about this thing where it's like you're kind of entering midstream or it's like there's something about starting on the four chord where it's like, yeah, I don't know. There, it's, there we it, go. I mean, the four, the four chord's always an interest. It's always a pleasant sound. It's not yeah, like. It's, yeah, it's, it's like it's, you're not. You're not you're not too far astray, but it certainly doesn't. It certainly it it starts you out in with like a feeling of motion, right? Because it's, it's it's usually a transitional chord, so that's yeah. you know if you think about it. So sort of like and is a transitional word. Exactly, exactly. So Buzzy, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was great to talk to you and, and see you virtually again. I know it's um, been it's been uh, <laughs> over a decade. Thanks again for coming on. Good luck with all of the, the podcasts and the shows. We'll come back for a, an episode on transitional beginnings of <laughs> great songs. Sound good? Sounds, sounds great, man. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode, and special thanks again to Buzzy Cohen for coming on to the show. If you want to follow Buzzy on social media, he's on Twitter at Buzztronics, that's B-U-Z-Z-T-R-O-N-I-C-S, and on Instagram at BuzzyCohenOfficial, that's B-U-Z-Z-Y-C-O-H-E-N-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. You can also check him out on the two Jeopardy podcasts he mentioned in the show, This Is Jeopardy! and Inside Jeopardy. I want to thank you for listening to this episode and would love for you to subscribe to the show if you enjoyed what you heard and haven't subscribed already. If you like or even love the podcast, go ahead and give an honest review on whatever platform you're listening to the show on. Or, you know, just tell a friend about us. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Dad Rocks Pod, as well as on Facebook by just searching up Dad Rocks Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or any show ideas for us, or just want to give us a shout, you can always email at dadrockspod at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening today. And remember, dads, you rock. <laughs>